All right. I'm a little nervous. Uh, first service, I was super excited uh, to share what the Lord's put on my heart. Uh, this service, I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous uh, because there was something that uh, happened in first service, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to and I'll share with you, but I realized that uh, the message today uh, is uh, potentially uh, more for me than it is for you. And uh, that's always an awkward uh, little revelation in the midst of the message uh, to, to realize that because uh, then all of a sudden there's emotion and it's like, oh, that's why I'm so passionate about this. And um, we're going into the fall. We're coming out of the season of 21 Days of Prayer. We've been talking a lot about just being still and listening to the voice of God. This is the season historically for churchdom. I don't even know if that's a thing, but in church world, this is the season where everybody is amped up and ready to go and excited about church growth because people are going back to church and uh, and we're inviting our friends. We we do sermon series that that are evangelistic in nature and and all this stuff. And we had some we had a sermon series planned that we were going to start today. Uh, and, and yet, I just, I don't know, I was just a little unsettled with it. Uh, I didn't feel good about going into that series. Um, we have some series uh, coming up that are about, you know, having margins in our life. You know, we're busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody's going different directions, having margins in our life. How to be a good neighbor, how to love uh, your, your enemies and your neighbors just as yourself. And, uh, and all of these, the, these things lined up, and they're all good things. They're not bad things, but it was just something... Uh, this week that, uh, I don't know, that just was unsettled about, about the direction that, that we were headed. And, uh, and so then I, I didn't really know what direction I was going to go. Uh, I, uh, Pastor Jeremy said, hey, I'm putting the set together. Do you have an idea of, of what you're, you're preaching on? And I said, yeah, it's going to be on faith and trust. And, uh, and it's not. <laughs> so it's not that either. Um, uh, so I, I, here's the thing is I've been uh, this is going to sound like I'm having a midlife crisis, probably, but I'm not. This is really just the Lord stirring something up in me, I, I believe, that, that has to do with kind of this uh, ongoing revelation of what God is doing in my life, that, that I'm just kind of beginning to, to learn a, a lot more about myself. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, if, if, if we are being honest, I think that uh, we just this this life that we live is a constant learning process. That uh, you know, I think the example that's used is uh, is an onion, right? Or at least that's the example Shrek you, they use in Shrek of of just peeling back the onion and and all this stuff. And I'm just I think that my onion is massive because it's just taking a long time to peel some of those layers back. And uh, and just as I'm learning more and more about myself, I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm discovering that um, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenge for me to be vulnerable and, and not, not honest or, or, or that I'm hiding something, uh, not, not that I, even transparency is a little bit different than vulnerability. And, and so I'm, I'm discovering that about myself. I, I, I've been asking the Lord, why, why is that? Man, even, I'm even like fluctuating in my voice. I'm already emotional and I haven't even gotten to the emotional part. But um, I, there, there's just something about a vulnerability in front of people that, uh, that I struggle with. And, I, and that's what I want to talk about today. But before I get to that, one of the, I went through a season 
uh, about, uh, let's see, we're in year 11, so about six years ago where I was, I was in a bad place. I didn't feel like I was hearing the voice of God in my life, and, uh, and so I went, ended up at a retreat, uh, and this retreat is called Trace Diaz. Uh, it's a three-day uh, three retreat, that's why they call it Trace Diaz if you don't know Spanish, but uh, it's a three-day retreat, and uh, it was an opportunity for me to hear God's voice, to kind of quiet myself, to, to get still before the Lord and, and just hear His voice. And uh, Tristeus is one of those things, it's, it may not be for everybody, but I do think it's for a lot of people. And uh, Renee and uh, Karina Garcia are, are kind of heading up for our church the, just to be available for you if you have questions about going and, and being a part of that, that three-day three retreat. It's coming up in October. They'll be at the welcome counter to, to chat with you more about that if, if you'd like. So I want to talk a little bit about hearing the voice of God because we've been talking about it, um, but there's kind of all the, all, always this question that comes from that, and it's like, well, what does the voice of God sound like, right? I mean, that, that's great, Ryan, you want me to hear God's voice, but I don't even know what that sounds like, and so that's, that's really what I, I want to address. I've, I, I've been influenced a little bit by, uh, over the years by different people, uh, different people that I've read, different pastors, d- different stuff. Well, one of my favorite authors of all time is, uh, his name is Donald Miller, and, uh, and he, he wrote a book called Searching for God's no- uh, God Knows What, and, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, something that he, he shared in that book that really began to change my life. And Erwin McManus wrote the book, Seizing Your Divine Moment, he's written lots of others that, that just have kind of influenced his, Erwin's uh, messages have influenced my life. And so today's really kind of a, an influence of, of some of those, those people in my life. Uh, one of the things that uh, our family doesn't do is we don't lock things. Uh, and it can be problematic if you value stuff, but uh, we, we, we don't lock our doors. We moved here from Washington. We didn't lock our doors up in Washington, uh, and then we moved to San Antonio, and, and people thought we were crazy because we don't lock our doors, and, uh, and then, you know, when people just start walking into your house, it, it becomes problematic, so we decided maybe we should lock our doors, but we forget, and so we bought one of those little locks. Have you seen them? They got the keypad on it, and then after 30 seconds, the deadbolt just automatically locks, which is great for us because we never lock anything, and so it automatically locks for us, unless you're at newcomers reception because then you, you're locked into our house, and every single time they try to open it, and it's locked, but we also don't lock our car doors. And, uh, and that can be problematic as well. Uh, there's something about the ability to lock your, your car. Uh, it's something about this motion that seems difficult to us, this, this motion here. And one night in particular, about a year ago, my family decided to, to make this late night run to Bahama Bucks. So we get in the car, we drive to Bahama Bucks, we're going to run in, we're going to get, I mean, I don't, we were probably all like wearing pajamas and stuff. We, 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 I was just going to, no. All right, so we run in, we run in, we, we, we get our Bahama Bucks and we come out. I didn't lock the door because, you know, I was tired. And, and so we came back out and what we didn't realize is that my wife had left her phone on, a, on, the, on the seat, on the passenger seat. And so when we came back out, the phone was, of course, gone because we didn't lock our door. Somebody had come in and stolen our phone. Well, not our phone, but her phone. Uh, We had Find My Phone on it. I've shared this story before. We located where the phone was. We had the house that that they had taken it to uh, in town here. We called the, the police, and they didn't do anything about it. 
And so our phone, her phone, was stolen. She'd misplaced it many of times. She's lost it. But this time, it was stolen. How many of you have ever had anything just stolen from you? Just raise a hand. Yeah, you, you don't like how it feels, right? You don't like when something is taken from you. You don't like when something is stolen. And it reminds me of the verse, John chapter 10, verse 10. We use this verse a lot. Jeremy uh, talked about that we fight against flesh, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. But John 10, 10 also reminds us that there is a thief. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then there's a promise after this verse, after the first part of that, that says, but I have come to give you life in abundance. And I think we want to focus on the second part of that, right? The the part that promises life in abundance. We all want life in abundance. We're attracted to this idea. The, The challenge for us, though, is that it's really hard to give somebody something that they think they already have. And what I mean by that is, is when we hear this idea of life in abundance, for us in America, maybe in San Antonio, in Stone Oak, wherever you may be, you may uh, feel like, yeah, my life is great. I've got everything I want. It seems like the life in abundance, and yet there continues to be this struggle in your spiritual life. Uh, the best example I could come up with was uh, imagine, if you will, I know it's hard to imagine, but imagine that it's raining outside. And, and you have one of these small little umbrellas, right? These tiny little umbrellas that they make that are supposed to be compact and, and cover nothing, right? And, but you pop it up and you've got your little tiny umbrella that you're under, but you're still getting wet. And, and I come along and I say, hey, I've got an umbrella for you. Would you, would you like an umbrella? And you're like, no, I'm good. I got an umbrella. And I'm like, but this is a golf umbrella. It's, a, it's an umbrella in abundance, right? And you're like, no, I've, I've got my umbrella even though I'm getting wet, right? There's this, this difficulty that, that when we are living this life, things may be going okay, but it seems like we're missing out on something in abundance. And the question is why? Why Why are we not willing to receive the promise of abundance in this life? I want us to look at the first part of that verse, though, before we get into the promise of life in abundance. The first part of the verse says that there is a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus is making this promise, and he's making this promise smack dab in the middle of a story. And sometimes you can read the story and wonder, I don't understand, I don't understand. Oh, I like that. That makes sense. I don't understand. And and so I just want to read the story to you and see if we can bring some clarification to the why behind why Jesus is sharing this. So very truly, John chapter 10, verse 1, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees, they didn't understand what he was telling them. 
Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. So he's mixing his metaphors. He's first the shepherd, now he's the gate, which shouldn't, you shouldn't ever really do, but he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. So he says, all who have come, in verse 8, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, and there's that verse that we were talking about, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance, have it to the fullest. And the question is, why is Jesus talking to us about the relationship of a shepherd with his sheep and calling out their name and them hearing his voice and them following him because they know him. Why? See, he moves then to this this amazing promise of then saying, I have come to give you life in abundance. See, I think we long for that. Even if we think we have some semblance of that, there's something of a longing of the fulfillment of this promise in our life. And yet we have no idea how in the world that it keeps evading us or keeps being stolen from us. We hold on to it. We hold on to this idea, this promise, this hope for it. We we beg for it. And we have no idea where where we're leaving our doors unlocked. If Jesus has come to to give me life, if he's come to give me it in abundance, then I want to figure out where my doors are remaining unlocked so that it doesn't get stolen from me. The implication here is that, that this takes place not just before our relationship with Christ, but really even after our relationship with Christ. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing that after we enter into this relationship with Jesus, that now all of a sudden the life that we have, this life that we live is life in abundance, right? For the rest of our life, we don't have to worry about it. It's all rainbows and unicorns. It's life in abundance. And yet, Probably, if we're being honest, we've had experiences, we've had moments in our life after we have entered into this relationship and we've surrendered our life to Christ, we probably have these moments that are maybe even some of the deepest, darkest, despairing moments of our life. And the question we ask is, where is this life in abundance that was promised to us? There are some who've never come to know that kind of life. And sometimes instead of helping us understand where our doors have been left unlocked, we keep losing out on the promise that God has for us for a life in abundance. It's no coincidence that Jesus is talking about the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep and the thief that comes to steal from us. The thief has a particular strategy in order to steal the life that we're longing for. And God has this beautiful strategy for, in which to bring life in abundance, and both of those are used in the same way. It's used through the voice. 
See, we don't connect oftentimes the life that God wants for us to the voice of God speaking it into us. His sheep hear his voice. He calls them out by name. Jesus is describing for us how this life in abundance comes to us. But it's also how the thief steals the life God created you to have. He convinces you to listen to the voices that we were never supposed to listen to at all. One of the, one of the worst times as a middle school, junior high boy is that moment where you have to step foot into a communal shower. I don't know if they still do this or not, but I played sports when I was in junior high. And I'll never forget that first day that I get done playing a basketball game, go into the locker room, and see all of these shower heads in this open area. And I'm told, there you go. See, what had been so private in my life is now becoming public. And I don't know if you know this, but middle school and junior high boys are not exactly the most gracious, nice people. They snap you with towels. They make fun of you. You laugh because it's funny now, but it wasn't funny when I'm in the sixth, seventh grade. Right? And so you now all of a sudden are in an environment in which you are pretty vulnerable. I, I, I don't know why people do it, but I, I think it's probably because they don't realize the, the eternal effects that, that comments and snapping of towels and things like that can have on a junior high boy. See, what you realize in that moment that you're standing there taking a shower with all of these other people you become acutely aware of the fact that you are naked and ashamed. And I wonder why. Why, why, why are you ashamed? Right? What, what is it about us that causes that shame in our life? It's not like you take a course on, on being naked and ashamed, like when you are naked, you are ashamed. I, I didn't ever take that course, never learned that, but somehow, inherently, I knew that if I'm in, in that environment, it's vulnerable, I'm, I'm ashamed. And, and I was thinking about, it, I mentioned Donald Miller earlier. Donald Miller, in his book, Searching for God Knows What, taught me really one of the most important lessons when it comes to identity and nakedness. And I want to read to you Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. This is after Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit they're now hiding. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And we hate those kinds of questions, don't we? We hate rhetorical questions because he's not really asking, where are you? He's really asking, how did you get to where you are? 
And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and that's where we should just pause for a second because so much of us live our lives believing that the voice of God is essentially silent. And that if we could just be good enough, we could hear God's voice. We strive to hear his voice. We we hope that one day we could hear the voice of God. And we even wonder what it would be like if we could just dwell in the midst of hearing God's voice. We long for that. And I think it's important to recognize that even in this moment, this moment in which these two people were at their lowest, at their lowest, Huge, huge mistake. And yet they could hear the voice of God. It's because you and I were designed to hear the sounds and the voice of God. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? That's his question. Who told you that you were naked? If I'm I'm God, I'm not. But if I am, and I'd make the most amazing paradise, I set you up for the greatest success possible, put you in the garden. We have this vision of the garden as this small little confined space because it's like, otherwise, why would they have even been near that tree? And so we think in our minds that it's this small place, but it really was without borders. It was without boundaries. There, there was four rivers running through it. They could have got, built a boat, got on the boat, got as far away from the tree as possible. And here God is. He's saying to you, I'm setting you up. You can eat anything and everything you want. You're naked and unashamed. And we've never experienced a life like that since. Because the more I eat, the more I'm ashamed, and the more clothes I have to wear. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. It's because of them. But his first question to Adam and Eve is, who told you that you were naked? That's the question that God asks. It's the question that matters. Who told you that you were naked? See, up to this point, there's only one voice that informed human identity. One voice that that spoke to us, and that voice that was speaking to them was speaking life. And somewhere along along the way, they allowed a voice into their soul to tell them that they were naked, to tell them who they are. What voice have we allowed into our soul that has silenced the voice of God? And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls them out by name. And they follow him because they know who he is. See, Jesus came really to restore this this conversation where the, the voice of God actually becomes the voice of life to us. Who told you that you were naked? There are some of us here this morning and and there are voices that are telling you that you should be ashamed of your nakedness. And because of that, you're, you're placing all of your energy and all of your weight and efforts behind creating this facade, like protecting yourself and hiding behind something because you're afraid that 
that maybe somebody might see you or maybe God might see you. And God just would tell you today to stop listening to all of the voices that tell you that you're naked and ashamed. See, in the garden, the only thing that changed, the only thing that changed was the voice that was speaking into their soul. So I wonder, is it possible to be naked and unashamed? There's a story in John chapter 8 about uh, a woman who was caught in adultery. Many of you know the story. So I'm not going to read the story to you, but I'll just give you the cliff notes of it. Essentially, the Pharisees go into a house where there are two people who are committing adultery. And I don't want to go into the details of it, but sometimes we just gloss over this enough that, that we kind of avoid really recognizing the importance of this. But the Pharisees go in and, the, and they, they catch them in the act of adultery, the Bible says. Well, that means that they're naked. And they grab the woman and they drag her out into the streets, assumedly naked. And they throw her down onto the ground and they look at Jesus, the Pharisees do, and say, our law says that if you commit adultery, you have to stone this person. What say you, Jesus? And Jesus' response is not to say anything. He, he gets down, you know the story, he draws a line in the sand, writes some things in the dirt, but what's interesting is never does he cover her. Never do the disciples say, hey, somebody throw a coat on her. Right? I mean, Peter's crazy enough to cut off somebody's ear. He could have stepped in and said, you know, uh, Bartholomew, he didn't make it in the, in the Bible. That could have been his moment, right? It's like, hey, do something, Bartholomew. You know, be known for something and cover her. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, instead, he writes in the sand, and, and, and the story goes that all of the people, all of the Pharisees, all of her accusers, just from, young, from oldest to youngest, they just walk away. And Jesus' response to her is, who has condemned you? And her response is, no one. So what happens after Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more? She stands up. And she walks away, assumedly naked and unashamed. When his voice is the voice that informs us, all shame is gone. That's what Jesus does. We're still naked, but it, it doesn't matter what anyone says about us anymore. We don't have to hide who we are because we have been seen by the only one that matters. Then there's this guy, little known guy in the Bible named David, King David, right? We all know King David. He comes back from war and decides he's just going to strip down and dance before God. So he's worshiping God, dancing around naked. And it actually went well for I'm not recommending that, by the way. This is not an endorsement of that kind of behavior. However, in this situation, it worked well, except for with his wife. His wife said, knock it off. 
You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing your country. Like, you're the king. You have to be dignified. You have to control yourself. Knock it off. And David's response to his wife is, oh, I will be even more humiliated because I will worship God in a way you couldn't ever even imagine. See, David understood that he might be naked, but they couldn't give him shame. I wish I would have known that in my early junior high and middle school years. Right? Because I have found that I've lived my life working hard to be dignified. I don't do different. I don't, I don't, I don't get out of my comfort zone a whole lot. I don't, you know, it's like, it's a big deal in worship for me to raise my hands. That's, that's, that's as crazy as I get. See, there's something that has taken place where there's this, these voices saying, you, you, you got to control yourself. You, you, you don't get to be crazy. You don't, you, like, that's humiliating. There's, there's something of a voice saying that and listening to it and saying, oh, yeah, I got I to get my act together. See, I, I wish I would have known that, that Jesus was the, really the only covering that I needed. Humans are, are what scientists call open-loop creatures. I don't know if you've heard this or not. But the general idea of an open-loop creature is that we can enter into a situation where we are depressed, we are down, we are discouraged. You can walk into a room that is filled with hope-filled people with vision and life, and all of a sudden the hope and the vision and the life that they have begins to influence you. Now all of a sudden you have hope and you have vision and you have life. But the opposite is true as well. You can come into a situation filled with hope, filled with life, filled with excitement, and you walk into a room and when they start telling you that you'll never amount to anything, you'll never, you'll, you'll never make it, you can't do this, what if this happens, and all of these discouraging things, all of a sudden that can begin to influence you as well and you find yourself in the same place as them. So I mentioned earlier that this message is much for me as it is for anyone. I, I, I didn't even have it in my notes. Last service... I was sharing this concept of this open loop creature and all of this, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, that's what's happened to me. And I don't cast any blame other than the fact that I allowed the voices of the enemy to come in and steal and kill and destroy, was that 11 years ago when, when we showed up here, and I can, I can say this because honestly there's like three people left from, from when we got here, and it wasn't, even their, it wasn't even the people's fault. It was just a recognition that I had allowed the enemy to steal something. But, but when, we, when we showed up here, we genuinely showed up with some vision and some hope and some life. And all of a sudden, you step into a room that said, you, 
you can't do this, you can't be that. You, what if this happens? What if that happens? And all of a sudden you start changing because we're open loop creatures. One, one of the, I always thought of myself as creative. And then I, just a few weeks ago, actually made the comment that I don't think I'm as creative as I think I am. But what I've discovered, even just in the last couple of weeks, is that my creativity died that moment. There's, there's something that takes place when you enter into a situation where the enemy will come in and steal and kill and destroy. We are open loop creatures. And the negative, negative voices, for, because of stinking Adam and Eve, stick more than the positive voices. Because it's not like over the last 11 years there hasn't been people in my life telling, good job, way to go, you can do it, all of these things, but there's something about that negative voice. That's what the enemy do, does. That's what the, the thief does. He comes in and he, he steals your life by telling you everything that you were and not everything that you can be. He tries to drown out the, the voice of God to your soul so that you never know who you are again. I want to read to you a pretty famous chapter in John chapter 1. It's, it's familiar to most of us. It, it's familiar and yet somewhat confusing. It begins, in the beginning was the Word, and we know that the Word is Jesus. But I want to read to you it in maybe a little bit of a different context. In the beginning was the voice, and the voice was with God, and the voice was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. How were they made? They were made because God spoke them into existence and they were made. They were created and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men and that light shines in darkness and the darkness can never overcome it. What he's telling us is that Jesus is the voice of God that brings life to us. When we allow his voice to speak into our soul, we come to life again, and not just life, we come to a place of abundant life. See, abundant life comes by silencing all of the voices that we weren't supposed to have as a voice in our life and hearing the one voice that always calls us to life. The reason that you are here this morning, the reason you got up when it was raining and made the decision to show up here today is because there's something of a voice in your life that is telling you, you need to be there. That voice is God. The, the reason we, we step into moments like this the reason we feel that, that our soul is coming to life 
and our faith is growing and erupting is because God created us to be open loop people. Because you know that when you come in here and there's life and there's health, it will change you. When I was in Bible college, I worked for a bank. I worked for Bank of America, if you don't like it. I just worked for them. I didn't own them. I worked for Bank of America. I was a merchant teller, and and, uh, I was trained by uh, a guy who uh, actually became a friend of mine, but he was an atheist. And it was interesting because uh, I was going through Bible college. God placed me in the bank being trained by an atheist who, who didn't believe anything of the things that I was being taught in Bible college. Every week, he would come up with a list of questions for me to answer about my faith, about my belief system. And honestly, he was a much smarter guy than me. I, uh, I, most of the time, I couldn't answer the questions. But there was one question in particular that he wrote down, and I don't know that I knew how to answer it then. But the question is, what does the voice of God sound like? If I had the opportunity to go back to that person, his name was Mark. If I, if I had that opportunity, I would say that there's, this is going to sound strange, but it's like there's all of these voices in your head telling you that you're not good enough, that you're not going to amount to anything. You're, these voices that are telling you that your life is a mess and it will never get better. And you want to silence those voices in your head. You want to to kind of cloud that out. But then there's this other voice. This voice that says, no, you are more than a conqueror. You you have these other voices that are saying you're less than. And there's this other voice that says, no, you're more. You're not less, you're more. And, And there's these moments where it's like, you know, you kind of maybe are okay with the fact that maybe today I'm not more, right? Maybe I could be a little below average. And yet that voice says to you, no, today's Tuesday and Tuesday matters. Get up, get up and live your life. Get up and lead, get up and, and love well, get up and, and have hope and joy. Get up. To use an example from from Erwin McManus, it's 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 the it's like a parasite. It's like there's all these voices that are coming from the world, that are coming from the thief who's coming to steal and kill and destroy. And if you let it, the voice of God is like a like a tapeworm. It will eat all of the other voices. It'll eat away all of the despair. It will eat away all of your fear. It will eat away all of your doubt. And it will destroy all of the other voices in your life. He'll lock the doors that have been left open where the thief has come in and stolen your life from you. He'll speak life into your soul so that you can get up every single day and hopefully you get dressed 
and you live your life in a way that you know how he sees you and that's all that matters. You could, you could be unashamed of who you are. It's interesting, there's, a, there's an old story uh, about the Celtic army that the Romans were coming to, do, to take over the Celtics and, and uh, they came in all of their glory, right? The Romans, they got their chariots, they got their horses, they got their armor, they got their people, they got their spears, their weapons. And they show up to the battlefield to take on the Celtics. The problem is, is they don't know what to do with these guys because they're all naked. They don't even know how to battle them because they're naked and they're unashamed. I think the church, and I'll speak for myself in this, I, I think we have become a little too dignified. I, th- I think that we, we're too, too focused and, and too busy listening to the other voices. And so we don't want to respond. We don't want, we don't, we're afraid of looking bad. We're afraid of being humiliated. I think maybe it's time for us as a church, it's time for us, I know this is going to sound crazy, but it's like it's time for us to, to dance naked in the rain, figuratively speaking. <laughs> David says, I will be even more undignified than this. And I would say, man, we, we have done a, a successful job of creating a safe, dignified environment. Jeremy alluded to the fact that, you know, we don't ever want you to feel like we're manipulating you to do something that's not in your heart to do. But I'm going to be honest, I need to, I need to be shoved a little bit. Like, I, in... Because I, I, so much of my life has been in this season of trying to be put together and dignified and, and, and worried about what people think of me and all of those things that I just need a little, little shove. We would never want to manipulate you, but I'll be honest, I, I certainly am okay with shoving you. One of the things that we talk about here at Lifehouse, if you're visiting with us, you're probably wondering what is wrong with him, is this picture that we see in Scripture about a river. And the, and the, the river, if you, just, if you step into the river, you'll be ankle deep, and then you go a little bit deeper, and you'll be knee deep, and you'll go a little bit deeper, and it'll be up to your thighs, and then eventually you'll be swimming in the river. And, and I always kind of said, you know, it's not our goal to just shove you into the river, that we really want to just kind of lead you into deeper and deeper waters. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm tired of that. Like, I know that's what you're supposed to do. I know that when you begin to, I mean, I don't want to drag you, but like if, if you're standing there, I'm, I might go like that. And here's the thing, is I've got people in my life who might need to go like that to me. Now, you're like, what are you talking about? And the answer is, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know what swimming in the water looks like. I don't know what deeper looks like for us as a church. But I do know this. It will be more undignified than this. Let's pray.